Before I get started, let me just say, uh, I know that typically our Sunday evening service is a traditional service, kind of a destination. I'm not here to wave fingers or whatever, but tonight we're going to have a special night of prayer. You don't even have to listen to that preacher around here talk again. That's like an extra bonus. So uh, tonight is going to be dedicated to prayer, and so uh, I'm inviting you from, you know, from my own heart. I'd love to see you here. If you could join tonight at six o'clock, there'll be just a couple of quick songs, and then we'll have a time of prayer, and no one's going to make you stay, and no one's going to make you go. So that means if you start getting hungry at 6.30, and that's more powerful than the pull of the Spirit, go eat. You see what I'm getting at here? Freedom. It's great. It'd be great to have you join us tonight, 6 o'clock, if you could. It'd be wonderful. We're going to try to have some, uh, some stations of prayer set up, kind of in the vein of our Ash Wednesday service that we did, but, uh, but, but different, definitely. So it'd be great to have you here tonight. I read a story in the newspaper recently. So it's a true story, because everything you read in the newspaper is true, right? Well, I will admit that that's not as hard a reaction as the first service. The first service, folks, they're very suspicious of the newspaper. That amused me. But anyways, I read in the newspaper, so I'm going to assume that it's true. Fair enough. And this story took place in all places in Florida. So, here we go. There was a woman. She was an elderly woman. The story says that she was less than five feet tall and had tight white hair. All right? An elderly woman. And she was at the grocery store. And she was walking out of the grocery store holding her sacks of groceries. As she was getting to her car, she saw that four young men were breaking into her car. And so she did what any elderly woman apparently would do with four young men breaking into her car. She dropped her groceries and pulled out her gun. I got, I got applause from the senior adults for that in the first service, which just terrified the snot out of me because it makes me wonder how many of them had guns and then caused me to wonder just how carefully I needed to word the rest of my sermon. But anyways, she pulls out her gun on four young men breaking into her car and she addresses them by saying, I've got a gun, get out of my car. And those four guys smartly left. They were gone. They went running. And so she picked up her groceries, and her arms are just shaking like crazy. And she goes, and she gets in her car, and she puts the groceries down, and her hands are shaking, and she's shaking up because someone just tried to steal her car. She pulls out her keys, and her hands are shaking. She can't get them into the ignition. And so she kind of, you know, gets herself calmed down a little bit, and she figures now she can get them to sick in the ignition. But they wouldn't fit. And so she began to think that, you know, it was probably a steering column issue. And so she gets out of her car and walks to the end and wants to get someone to help her. And when she looks to her left and then she looks to her right and she sees a car that looks a whole lot like hers. And so she walks over to that car slowly, opens the door, slinks into the driver's seat and finds that her key turns that vehicle on. So feeling very badly about what she has done, she does what is probably the best thing that she could have done. She drives down to the police station to turn herself in. 
And she's assigned to a sergeant, and she goes and she sits at the sergeant's desk. She explains what had happened, that she had seen four young men break car. She pulled a gun. She realized that, uh, that it wasn't her car. Her car was four cars down. And the sergeant responds by throwing his head onto the table in laughter. And she's like, this is not a funny story. What are you laughing about? And he points through the glass window to the place next door where there's another sergeant receiving the story of four young men who had just been carjacked by a woman less than five feet tall <laughs> carrying a gun. This, I think, is the most Florida story ever, ever, right? It involves a little old lady in a carjacking. Does it get more Florida than that? Goodness gracious. This story, this story is, of course, very funny, but it's a story about getting your orientation right. It's about being sure that you know what you're talking about or what you're doing before you do something. It's about, it's about people who sometimes are dead certain on what they know. Dead certain when the fact of the matter is their perspective is just four cars off. I used to have a poor perspective of Lent. I used to have a poor perspective of Lent. It wasn't that I was militant. It's not that I was ready to yield the gun or anything towards people that participate in Lent, but I didn't get it. I never did it. No one ever asked me to participate, and so I just didn't understand it. That all came to a head one time when I was an intern in Chicago, Illinois. You see, in southwest Chicago, where Chicago First Church of the Nazarene is, where I was an intern, it's a heavily Catholic area. Heavily Catholic. And so it's always, it's always a, an issue for the Church of the Nazarene there because they, they want to evangelize and they want to reach out, but everyone understands themselves to be Catholic even though they don't know which parish they belong to. And so they want to be respectful to the Catholic Church, absolutely. And, and at the same time, uh, people are defensive about being Catholic. It's just an interesting sort of thing because most everyone is Catholic there. And so I was sort of ingraining myself into learning what it meant to, uh, to pastor in a very Catholic area and not trying to compete with the Catholic Church for the same people. It was just really interesting to do that. And so one day, it was a Friday, and it was this time of year. It was this time of year, right before Easter. And I was very, very hungry and so I stopped at McDonald's, and it was, it was very busy. It was crazy busy at McDonald's, and it finally got to my turn, and I walked up, and, and I looked up at the menu, and I said, uh, I think I'll have a Big Mac meal, number one, and the lady didn't respond to me, so I kind of looked at her, and she was just peering through me. I, I mean, like, with vicious anger that you can't imagine, and I just kind of looked around like maybe there was someone behind me, and I was like, did you hear my order? And she says, really? I said, I am at McDonald's, right? Yeah, you're at McDonald's. You want a number one? Uh, yeah, what's, what's the matter with that? Do you know it's Friday? Y yeah? I'm just hungry. I'd like a cheeseburger, please. She goes, this one she said, fine, and types it in and makes me pay. And so I step off to the side, completely confused what has just happened here, and I watch one customer after another walk in and say, filet fish please, filet fish please, filet fish please, and I'm like, oh, it's Lent. It's when 
Catholic people don't eat meat on Fridays, and I got it. I mean, I knew, I knew Catholic people all my life. I've always had Catholic friends, and so it just hit me, but I, I hadn't put it together because I had never participated in Lent before. But I know that every time Friday and Lent comes around, it always reminds me that I, I don't understand how fish to vegetarians and Catholic people does not count as meat. Can anyone explain that to me? No, 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 okay, okay. I was, I was hoping someone could explain that to me. But apparently fish isn't meat. But that's okay, that's okay. But, I, you know, I was kind of like put out and I was kind of angry. Like I was treated this way. I mean, it's not, you know, my faith was called into question because I wanted a Big Mac. I was mad. I didn't get it. And as life has gone on, I've met more and more people that participate in Lent. And I've come to understand it a little better as time has gone on. I put on Facebook this week just the question, what does Lent mean to you? What do the, the disciplines and the, uh, the giving up and all this stuff, what does this do for your life? And I got a few response, none from you all. All right, just saying, I'm just saying, I didn't get any responses from any of you, which concerned me a little bit. But it was really interesting, people saying things like, I make small sacrifices in order to step along the way that Jesus sacrifices. It's a, it's a time, they said, it's a time where uh, I set myself entirely over to God with extra prayer and more Bible reading so that I could dedicate myself to him to prepare for the rest of my life. The, you know, the other 320 days being dedicated to him. Stories like this about, about less of me and more of him, setting apart this period of time in order to give myself to him. Lent is not particularly, uh, it, it's not a biblical command, okay? It, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt observe Lent 40 days before Easter, and so, because of that, the Protestant church, who of course really, really focus on what the Bible says and trying to do what the Bible says, they've just kind of ignored this very rich tradition of the church. So today, I'm going to try to give us a little bit of biblical framework for why Lent began and why it happens, and talk just a little bit about what Lent hopes to accomplish as you know, we've begun this uh, process of going through ashes to fire. Our entire church is going together on this uh, journey from Ash Wednesday, which we did this Wednesday, all the way through Pentecost, which is 14 weeks long. And really, I think, I think it's the most holy part of the church year. I know a lot of people love Christmas, and of course I love Christmas too, but this period between Ash Wednesday and Pentecost is a very special time for Christians. And so we're making an effort together to really refocus ourselves and rededicate ourselves and draw nearer to God in this time. And so we're starting today by sort of giving us a biblical framework for why we would do this. And in order to do that, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. If you would open your scripture there, Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses 9 through 13. So as you're turning there, Debbie's going to get it up on our screen. For those of you that have scripture in your hand, find it. If not, you can follow it up here. But I would ask that all of you would stand with me as we read God's word this morning. The word of the Lord says this, At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, or I'm sorry, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. 
At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. You may be seated. The story starts out here with this tremendous, tremendous, majestic moment where Jesus steps in line to be baptized, and when he gets to the water, the heavens tear open, and God sends his spirit in the form of a dove onto Jesus. The Greek is really crazy. It says the dove went into Jesus. Now, that would have been something to watch, right? That's what the Greek says, that the Spirit actually went into Jesus at this point. And so, because Jesus was baptized, we get baptized in the church, right? I imagine that most all of us at some point have been baptized because we follow in the steps of what Jesus did. And we understand that baptism to be this moment where we we die to our old self. We go under the water because going underwater represents death unless you're able to be brought back to air. And so we go to death, we die in the water, the pure water, and we come back up and we breathe again a new life. We have died to our sinful way and we've turned our life to a new way that the Spirit will guide us in. That is the new life that Christ brings. We do this, first of all, because Jesus did it. We do things like communion because Jesus did communion. We do foot washing services because Jesus did foot wash, foot washing services. We pray for healing because Jesus prayed for healing and touched people and healed them. We do all these things that Jesus did. But just as soon as this story ends that Jesus was baptized, Jesus does something else. The Spirit comes into his life, and we're told in verse 12 that that Spirit that comes into him sends him off into the desert. Okay? Jesus didn't choose to go into the desert. That Spirit that we hear about in the church all the time that so often we want to sign up for because it sounds like that Spirit is going to hook us up, you know? It's going to take away our problems. It's going to make us healed. It's going to, I mean, if you listen to the televangelists, you know that the Spirit is going to make sure that you're rich and you're healthy. But that same spirit here comes to God's own son, comes into his life, declares that this is God's son, and the spirit sends him off into the wilderness. That's not much like the spirit you hear about by the televangelists. Jesus has to go out into a place of desolation. Jesus is driven by the spirit out into hunger. He's driven by the spirit out into thirst. He's driven by the Spirit out into self-sacrifice. He's driven by the Spirit out into desolation and self-emptying. And he's driven by the Spirit into radical dependence on God. That's fascinating. And did you notice how long that period is for? Anyone want to help me? Forty days. Why did he choose 40 days? Anyone know? Forty years in the desert of the people of God. That's right. And here, here we go. Jesus goes out into the desert, into the wilderness once again for 40 days, reenacting the steps of the Israelites. Both of them needed to depend on God in those times. And so why was 40 days chosen for Lent? Because Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. This period of Lent, just like baptism, just like communion, just like all these other things we do, Lent is a following and an intentional following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in acting out his life and, and 
embodying the disciplines that he takes on in order to near himself to God. And so Lent is an annual period of 40 days that we symbolically step out into the wilderness. Some of us choose one thing to give up. And hopefully, if you give that up, it's something that matters. The first time I ever participated in Lent, I gave up red meat. And uh, I I thought, you know, I like red meat, but I thought it'd be kind of a simple way to walk in. And I found out pretty quickly how there are all these things that we just sort of orient our lives around. It's so easy to go to a menu and just choose whatever you want. It's so easy to just grab a a pound of beef out of the, the freezer and make anything out of that. It's easy, the, the things that are just so simple for us. And having to go 40 days planning and planning around and stopping myself and thinking something else, it, it realized what just a simple pattern I go through life, just making assumptions all the time. And, and when I really, really wanted a hunk of steak or maybe a piece of lasagna, there was a moment of self-denial as well saying, I don't need what I want. I don't need what I want. And when I would get to that moment to say, I don't need what I want, I would also remember that Jesus himself denied himself to go to the cross. Remember in Gethsemane, he prays heavily that God would take this from him. And when God says, no, you must go, Jesus goes to his own suffering. There's a self-denial in Lent that sort of joins in with the very heartbeat of our Lord while he walked the same earth that we walk. This time is a time of self-denial. It's a time of reorientation. It's a time of disciplining ourselves to live our life like Christ did. Some of us give something up. Some of us are are, are rededicating ourselves to devotions. You, you may have heard there's a lot of talk about these devotionals that are available for $10. And I've started doing it this week. It's the Ashes to Fire devotional. It sort of brings us along the same path. And it's just about, I mean, you can do it in three to five minutes if you wanted to. You could do it in 10 to 15 if you're more of a, a, a slow-paced person and, and want to take some time in prayer. It doesn't take much of your day to, to just read a, an excerpt of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then a story in the Gospel. And And this just sort of walks you through that, and then it gives you a saying and a prayer by by Christians of old. And it's amazing to me when I pray the prayers of John Wesley and Augustine and all these very old Christians, how alive those prayers still are. They're not just dead words that those men wrote and spoke. Those prayers continue to be the prayer of my heart as well. And it's as if I'm connecting to the whole people of God. You remember in Hebrews it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Well, that doesn't just mean you. That also means these great men who have handed the church to us and asked us to take care of it in these days as well. These, these prayers, these scripture readings are just enlivening in life, and it's a way that we reconnect with God and rededicate ourse- ourselves to God, and again, hear Him speak to us. There are all these disciplines that are out there for us to sort of move nearer to God in this time, because what it is, is starting with Ash Wednesday, it's a preparation for the cross. Jesus Himself said to this, His disciples, and therefore to us as well, If you are going to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Well, this this time is times of small self-denial or big self-denial where we are preparing ourselves to go to the very foot of Jesus' cross 
so that we too may take it up and follow him. This is a time of preparation, and it's in the tradition of Jesus going into the desert or the wilderness for 40 days and being incredibly and radically dependent on God. Could you imagine just for a moment what 40 days would look like without a faucet? What 40 days would look like without a chef? What 40 days would look like in that sort of hunger and thirst with Satan prowling right around at every corner waiting to get at Jesus? Could you imagine needing to be that wholly dependent on God as Jesus was? And Jesus, for 40 days, says, I believe that God is sufficient for me. My challenge to you is to spend the next 40 days, and we're four or five days in now to these 40 days, finding ways to remind yourself to be wholly dependent on God. Finding ways to connect with God new and fresh. Finding ways to give yourself up Because the more of me that I give up, the more space there is for God in me. These days are intentional times for us to draw nearer to God. And so, uh, you may notice that the story of Lent here begins with a baptism of Jesus. It begins with the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus. And it's very important that the Spirit comes upon Jesus so that he can withstand the 40 days. This period that we're going through is going to end with Pentecost, which is the day that the Spirit came upon all believers. And so this journey is from today, baptism of Jesus, to Pentecost when the Spirit comes upon all believers. That's the journey we're going through today. So today we're going to start it off together by having, uh, having us all move and do something. We're going to do what's called a renewal of baptismal vows. All right? In the Church of the Nazarene, we believe that you only need to be baptized once, that God's grace in that baptism is sufficient for all of life, and that if you turn from God, that is a decision of humanity and not because God has revoked his grace from your life. So we believe in one baptism. The creed itself even says that. We believe in one baptism. One baptism. And so we're not going to re-baptize you today, but we're going to take this water and sort of sprinkle it on you after having reaffirmed those vows that you said. Some of you may have been baptized right here in this place. Others of you may be in waters that we're surrounded by. Others may be in a church long ago. I was baptized as an infant in a Methodist church in the state of Connecticut, a long way away from here. But this water is a way for us to remember what that water was like. It's a reminder of who we are and also a reminder of whose we are. And so if you're ready today to renew your baptismal vow, that we're going to go through something similar to what you say right before you're baptized. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed, and then we're also going to say that we have given our lives wholly to Jesus. And if you've been baptized and you want to renew that, you want to say that when I went into the water, I declared to the world that I belong to God, to Jesus Christ, and to the Spirit. I declared that. By coming forward today and renewing your vows, what you're saying is, I believed it then, I believe it now, and I will believe it forevermore. 
And so today we're going to remember what that water felt like. Remember what it was, how Jesus, how God separated us out in our baptism. How we died to sin and how we're alive in him. We're going to reenact all of that today. and It'll just take a few minutes. So if you've been baptized and you want to renew your vows... I invite you to come forward and do that now, and we'll go through just a short little ceremony together. So come forward. The first thing we're going to do is uh, recite the Apostles' Creed which is uh, when we do a baptism here is a major part of that baptism. It has been a major part of the baptism for almost 2,000 years now. And so we join in with the uh, whole history of the church in reciting what our beliefs are. And so here it is. Here we go. Let's repeat this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now there's a series of three questions that you're going to see come up here. The top, or the question I'm going to ask and the response you all will answer in unison, okay? Do you turn to Christ? Do you repent of your sins? I repent of my sins. Do you renounce evil? I renounce evil. May it be so in all of your lives. Sadly, this water is starting to get cold, but I'm just going to flick it on you, and hopefully you, uh, you feel just a drop of it come. And as you feel it, remember what it was like, whether you were a child. That's not appropriate, Mary Ellen. Whether you are a child or an adult, remember the water that signified the new life that was in Jesus Christ. Remember that this is something that Jesus Christ himself did and ordained. Remember the water signifies that we have died to sin, that we are alive in him now. And remember also that this water sustains us, sustains us for all of our lives. That the grace that we're given at baptism is not a moment, but it's a call into a whole life with him. And it brings us nearer to him through our whole lives. The baptism is not an end in itself, but it's the beginning of a journey. And we've remembered how that journey has gone today. And hopefully as that water touches you, you remember how Christ has been with you every moment since you were first baptized. And take this as a promise as well that Christ will be with you in every moment from now through the rest of your life as well. God is pleased 
that you who've been baptized in him still stand firm in your commitment that you made then. That is pleasing to our God. Now may you go from this place living the baptized life, living it out fully as if a new life has been formed in you. And may it continue on all the way unto eternal life. Let's pray real fast before we go today. God, we begin as a church this journey. We don't do this because, hey, it's what the church is supposed to do. We don't do this because the church of Nazarene says it. We don't do it because the Catholic church used to do it. We don't do it because it's in the Bible or anything like that. But we do it because we are intentionally separating ourselves from the mundane life, from the ordinary life, from the routine life. We're doing something different in expectation that you are prepared to do something different in us as individuals and certainly as a church. God, we just ask, we ask with uh, all of our heart that your presence would be real in our lives, that as we do this devotional, as we give something up, as we, as we uh, add something to our lives, whatever it is, God, as we separate ourselves for you, that you would be honored by the way that we live our lives, that you would be honored by the way that we celebrate Lent. And God, as we walk to the cross, as we step on those dusty streets that you stepped on the way to your death, we ask, God, that you would give us the strength to die to ourselves. And God, also, we ask that you would remind us of how important it is to worship you. God, we worship you. We worship you today, but we want to worship you with all the days of our lives. Be near to us as we work very hard to be near to you. In your name we pray, amen. You are dismissed. Go in his grace.